Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have founder and CEO of Abella Consulting, Molly Chang, and her win as one management system, as well as I'll talk about dark patterns on the cyber tip of the week. So don't go away. On this week's tech news, if you happen to be an early adopter of the Samsung Galaxy Fold, the latest of the high-end Samsung smartphones, you might be experiencing um, one of these two issues. First up is that it appears that the device comes with its own protective screen, and that's part of the device. People think it's actually something like a removable screen you have on other phones, and so they remove it, and it, the screen no longer works. The other one is that due to the foldability of the unit, it appears that around the hinge, debris can build up, and that too can affect the performance of the device. Uh, Samsung has not given any update as of yet. Facebook set aside $3 billion in basically a holding tank because they expect to be fined by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, a record amount over privacy violations. Uh, some estimates are that Facebook could actually be paying up to $5 billion over time. Tesla has reported their earnings, and they lost $702 million last quarter due to a drop in Model 3 deliveries. Now, Elon Musk at the time had said that the shift to fulfilling orders globally would affect the deliveries of these units. Uh, just as a comparison, in the last quarter, Tesla had delivered 90,000 units, and in this most recent quarter, it was about 60,000. Uh, we talked a lot about U.S. facial recognition in airports, and the Department of Homeland Security estimates that by 2023, 97% of all departures outbound, so into foreign countries, will be using facial recognition technology in order to identify all the passengers. Um, they've had trials already in the United States and uh, in 15 U.S. airports, and they've had what they consider to be some great success. So it'll continue to watch how automation will be affecting um, our identities and how we actually get to travel. And finally, Microsoft discovered or disclosed what they believe to be a Huawei driver breach that allows a backdoor into laptops. Now, due to the trade wars and the concerns, um, this research report by Microsoft doesn't state that it actually is necessarily malicious and nefarious. So I want to make sure that's clear because Huawei has been complaining that uh, Microsoft and other publications reporting this issue was really just to continue to, to sully their name. Uh, and also, I wanted to remind, in fairness, that Microsoft also has uh, a widely known backdoor as well. So I'm not saying that this is malicious, but I just want you to be aware that, uh, as we always talk about software, um, you don't understand the code behind it, so you can't know for sure what it's doing. So just always use your best judgment when using um, any operating system, because all these drivers, tens of thousands of them, could affect your system. And that's the tech news.
Welcome back to the show. Once again, I have Molly Chang, who's the founder and CEO of Abella Consulting. And we're going to talk a lot about Molly's background. And it's going to be a very inspirational show because Molly has taken all of her experience and she now leads high performing teams and she coaches them at the CEO level and at the team level. So Molly, thanks again for joining us. Delightful to be here, Keith. Really my pleasure. So I'm going to take a little more time than normal to talk about my guests because Molly and I have been friends for over two decades, and we worked very closely together at Cisco Systems where Molly was leading very complex M&A integration deals, and I was working right alongside with her on the technology side. So Molly, um, those were some special days we had back during those dot-com years. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. The sense of team, of purpose, of culture, you know, people think it's kind of soft and squishy, but it was so palpable for us, and it really... You know, I feel blessed because I think you and I have both been part of super high-performing teams. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I, I talk about it often. I mean, yes, I've, I've worked with many high-performing teams, but the dot-com years for those of us that lived right, we used to refer to it as dog years. Um, that was an incredibly special time. And, you know, you've led over 80-plus acquisitions um, during your entire career. So how does that then work into your journey? I want to hear more about what you're doing during that time and then since then. Yeah, yeah, I I was really lucky and you and I think both feel the same way. It was really a great privilege to work with these amazing startups, smaller organizations that you could plant into an organization and really overnight start to change an industry. And so it was really very gratifying work and worked with a lot of leaders through a lot of change and you know, the culture part was something that we really helped uh, endure at Cisco. And I think, you know, one time we had almost 200 different people around the different functions just supporting massive integrations. I mean, at one point we had like eight of these going at once. Do you remember? I mean, you, just, you could, like I, at one oh, point yeah. I couldn't even remember CEOs' names. I mean, how embarrassing is that? <laughs> um, and I ended up, you know, parlaying that, you know, I just mentioned along the way, and we're both very fond of Cisco. I had a chance to run a nonprofit from within Cisco and, um, take some time in the social sector, and I'm very passionate about the integration of public, private, and citizen sectors to solve the world's problems. And I think we had a chance to see the world and our place in it far more than kind of from a dollars and cents um, perspective. Uh, and I would say that, you know, I've always worked with people through a lot of change, you know, from an IQ standpoint, I was a chemie, I was a geek, right? And I think by career, my mom is a nurse, my dad is kind of a physicist, double E, but I had a chance to really nurture my EQ side of the house. And I was in the consulting part of business, and I started to see the, the company culture go down the toilet. I mean, for me, right? It was like people would say things, they would not do it, and it would be okay. And I thought, well, when is that going to be okay? And uh, I am kind of a believe in the stars aligning. And I never intentionally went out to be a coach, per se, but I got involved in a coaching program over a number of years and certified in a relationship systems coaching, which really at, at the core of high performance, it is our relationship. It's not the task, right? It's not the what. It's how we move through space. And when you use the word relationship, I'll unpack it in three ways, right? Your own emotional intelligence, like what's going on for me? Do I understand what's going on for me? The social intelligence to identify someone else's emotional experience and truly empathize with it, which is fundamental to connection. At the highest level, a relationship system or team intelligence, who are we together? We're part of the same team. We're part of the same, you know, couple. We have a very different experience of it. And the ability to empathetically understand what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes is just fundamental for collaboration and powerful group identity. And that takes some work, 
right? And you have a unique group of people with unique skills. They don't all combine in the same way. And, and you've heard me say, you know, from a teaming standpoint, you have uh, a uh, Ryder Cup game, which is fine. You add up the golf tours, win or lose, and I'll use the hockey season Stanley Cup, right? So you're starting to play the game for each other. you got to ask for help, give help, play different roles. It's not a better sport, but from a teaming standpoint, it's, uh, it's a more complex sport to play. And I think that's the opportunity to get that one-on-one equals 11. And when I went into this coaching program, and it's, it was just like so, like the light bulb went off in my head, Keith, literally. I was like, this is what everyone needs because issues we have with others start within. So you've got to be really whole with yourself, right? You might be angry about something and legitimately so, but going into your meeting with that isn't really going to serve the work. And when I started to appreciate this, I became a better me, quite frankly, and then I realized that this was something that I really wanted to pursue. And I kind of on the side at Cisco helped senior management teams for a while, and my last year at the company, my boss said, this is so much more important what you're doing that I'll, you know, I'll cover your billability and let you, you know, figure this out. And then I knew I was on something. So about yeah, five years ago, well, it, ago I left. It's so powerful, right? And I was going to ask you, um, with just this final minute in the segment, is it certain industries you see the observation that can get um, traction and benefit out of this? Or is it all industries? Because we're talking Across about tech. Board. Across the board, any shape and size, nonprofit, for-profit, I'll see it. And I'll tell you, people aren't necessarily saying what they really want to say at work, right? Which means you don't get to the shared sense of reality, an accurate understanding of reality, really hard to make informed decisions, execute with speed, and achieve your outcomes. And um, it's more than the psychological safety or safe space. You have to have the skillfulness to be able to express yourself in a way that honors yourself. So, and so Molly... When let- you let that rip. Yeah, so let's get into the win is one management exec- you know, team coaching in our next segment. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with Molly Chang, founder and CEO of Abella Consulting. Any questions or comments about what we're talking about today, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with Molly Chang, who's the founder and CEO of Abella Consulting, and we're talking about her win-as-one system. Welcome again, Molly. Thanks, Keith. Great to be here. So for this week's question, we've talked a lot about, in previous shows, about data, large amounts of data, big data, driving all kinds of outcomes. And the question comes up is, with all this data, is it really driving performance? Even IBM says that they're using Watson now to do predictive performance reviews. Molly, what's your take on data driving performance? So I, from a relational dimension, and that's really my focus, is getting people to really work together. You know, I, I don't think data drives behavior change. And I'll give you a couple examples. One is, you know, 85% of the world's employees, according to Gallup, are actively disengaged or disengaged at work. amounting to $7 trillion of lost economic productivity. So even if it's half of that, it's a tragic number. That people, you know, I say that and people are like, "Ah, that's just the way it is. (laughs) I'm like, really? You think that's just the way it is? Really? So people of all shapes and sizes, all levels of organizations just really throw their hands up in the air and think that that's the way it has to be. And to me, that is just a, you know, a crisis of, of epic proportion. And, you know, the, the other thing, I, I, in the Valley, Google did a big study 
and I don't remember, 50,000 people with that Project Aristotle, you know, basically to say that you really need safe space. I mean, at the end of the day, and I'm thinking, wow, we did a lot of studies to figure out we need safe space. And that went out all over the wires. And you think the next day, right, that people were like, whoa, we need to really look at safe space. And, you know, I'm not making people bad about that, but I think it is about understanding what drives behavior change. And what I have um, realized, and we'll talk a little bit about this video series that I put out, but if people can appreciate at their level, like, wow, I'm part of the problem. When people have a, a really look in the mirror epiphany, wow, it's me, that will drive change. Right? No amount of telling or otherwise, I think, is as effective. And, uh, you know, for me, this whole 85% issue is, is rooted in the fact that people don't feel like they can say what they really think needs to be said at work. And it means we don't get to an accurate sense of a shared reality, right? You have reality, I have reality, and we think we're right. We both can't be right. We seem to bubble up the transparency of the different realities and work through it. If you don't have it, not going to make the best decisions, not going to execute with speed, not going to achieve your outcomes as well. And this is a source of great dysfunction, it, what seems to be like perpetual dysfunction in organizations. People throw their hands up, literally. This is just how it is here. And I'm talking CEO, managing director, founder. I mean, this isn't just, you know, people in the bowels of the organization. And so I have empathy for people feeling this way. So I don't want to make anyone wrong, wrong or bad. But I think when everyone realizes that, geez, I'm part of the problem and I'm part of the solution, we all are, right then and there you get a mutual sense of accountability and interdependency that if you can get that, I think underpins the, the highest performing teams. Thanks, Molly. On... I want to follow up on this, though, right? Because uh, especially here in the Valley, we're talking about um, data driving performance. And, you know, you're, you're bringing up the 85% of that data doesn't always doesn't reflect that as evidence. How do you with such dominant corporate culture? So I can think about companies like where we came from, Cisco or Facebook or Microsoft or um, Twitter. Each one has a hardcore built in company culture. How do you then exact the change that you're saying doesn't actually happen? How do you do that? So for the biggest organizations, it absolutely, I think, has to come start at the top, and it has to be the management team looking at themselves saying, hey, you know, we're part of the problem too. I mean, I find it hysterical sometimes, and we want the organization to grow. And then my first question is to a CEO and to the management team, well, how are you growing? Right? You think everyone else here has got to grow? Like, what is it that you're doing? You know, what got us here doesn't get us there. And that I think that ability to really look in the mirror and say, wait a second, I've got to model this for my organization. I can't rightfully ask everyone else to do something that I'm not doing. So I think that's a big part of it. So then where does that epiphany come from? I mean, you, you have your strategy, when is one. How do people come to that realization that they need you? How do they engage? So I think um, there, and I've gotten very uh, involved in some of these, like Great Game of Business, some of the Tugboat Institute, Evergreen sorts of companies. There are companies out there that have their why. You know, if you listen to Simon Sinek, they have the why. They have very clear purpose, right? And they're making a ton of money. <laughs> and the people are engaged. And they want to stay there. And they want to be around for 100 years. They're not necessarily trying to you know, ramp it up and then sell it for two or three or however many times earnings, right? And flip it and do it over again. I don't want to make anyone wrong or bad for that model. I think a lot of people don't actually think it can happen. And there's a lot of organizations out there. Go to the Tugboat roster. They've got over 130 companies right now. And, you know, I just came from a board meeting with Essential Ingredients, which is an employee stock owned company. All the employees are owners and they will have substantial retirements because of it. It takes a high level of leadership commitment and leadership to do that. 
um, and that's a capability the individuals have to go and do it. But I think once a leader decides, gosh, it's more than me, and I really do want to lead together, there's nothing wrong being a leader that says, follow me up the hill. If you want to do command and control, there's absolutely times that that's the way to go. I think, you know, you hear about not wanting to work in silos, and that would mean, hey, if we look at this group of people, how can we really maximize who we are together? And it starts with the courage to be vulnerable. And people, you say that word and executives freak out, but everyone wants trust, right? Vulnerability is a must for trust, must for trust. And so that's what creates that safe space that I can be who I am and accepted for that. And that's huge. I can create that in a pretty short amount of time. Once you get that and you'll hear that it's the psychological safety, the thing that MIT shown is that the social sensitivities, it's the skillfulness to be able to say what you want to say that holds a lot of people back. You can have safe space, but if I can't find the words, which is what gave rise to this um, video series that I started, these 90-second videos that weren't about telling people what to do. There's a lot of books telling you what to do. I was really trying to help show people how it was done and to give people the confidence, like, I can do that. And, and literally around the world, in like within eight weeks, like 230,000 views, people, all shapes and sizes, senior people, junior people, international, every, I, I'm shocked about the, the locations. They're really resonating. And deep down, people just really want to be who they are. They want to contribute to their fullest. They really do. They don't want to play small. They really do want to play big. And once you get that going, then, then you can start to create you know, the skillfulness to be able to disagree with your boss, to be the lone voice of dissent. And that's what I would call real conversation, when people are saying what needs to be said and you get transparency, the fact that we're not all on the same page. And once you get that going and you have the respect to say, hey, I see it differently. I'm not going to make you wrong for that. I'm going to be curious instead and really understand that. Then you start to get to a point where you can figure out what's the shared reality and then um, the accountability to do what we're going to say with each other. Not like I'm telling you what you need to do, but I'm buying into the fact that I'm going to do that too. Your boss comes and says, hey, I need this by you know, Friday. Hey, that's awesome. I'm happy to do it. I just need a, a little bit of a trade-off here. And I think lots of times people don't feel comfortable pushing back. Managers, I don't know, are not trying to traumatize or otherwise drown their people. They're really not. But unless, you know, they're kind of help understanding what it's like to be in their employee's shoes, they're not really mindful of, of the pressure they're on. So well, once you get that accountability, you get to the shared reality notion, you really can win together. And that's playing the game for each other. I mean, you've seen the championship teams. It's not about any one guy or gal. It's about that we're playing for the whole. And whatever that takes, we're going to win together and we're going to lose together, right? And when we lose, we learn a lot from that. And in, in, in life as individuals, as organizations, when you struggle the most, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And when you're able to really go there, it's not fun to go there, but that's part of our journey in life. You know, the leaders who create space for that, who show the things that they have trouble with, Right, those are the ones people will just really they'll follow to the nth degree. So, so Molly, um, I think the story you had two hundred thirty thousand hits in the first seven or eight weeks. That that's a phenomenal number. So, hats off to you. And, and I mean, it just speaks to uh, whether leaders want to admit it or not. There's something that's speaking to them with the content you're providing for them. So, I think that's great. Um, what I want to do in the next segment is talk about how. Your clients have engaged with you some of the success stories and what's coming up next uh, for you in Abella Consulting. So once again, Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with Molly Chang, who's the founder and CEO of Abella Consulting. We're talking about winning as one. Also in the next segment, you're not going to want to miss when I explain dark patterns in the cyber tip of the week. 
If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Molly Chang, who's the founder and CEO of Abella Consulting. In the first two segments, we talked about Molly's background and her win as one executive team management system. So we're going to continue to get into that in just a bit. So on this week's Cyber Tip, I want to talk about dark patterns. I had mentioned that in the earlier portion of the show. So dark patterns is not necessarily malicious code or malware, but it is something that is nefarious in the sense that it's using human behavior to get you to do something that you might not ordinarily do. So usability is the things that we interact with as humans in system design. So the way you use your iPhone, the way you use your Android, or you use a TV remote control or a keyboard, those are all things that become repetitive, almost muscle memory. Um, This has become such an issue that there are senators who are now trying to enact new legislation called the Design and Safety Act, which is to protect kids, and also the Detour Act to get companies to be more upfront in their system designs. So some examples of dark patterns in an article by InfoRisk today are things like bait and switch, where the users think they're clicking on a certain type of prompt. So imagine in a Windows screen, the X at the upper right corner of the screen. And so the people who want you to click another screen make it look exactly like that. And in its essence, trick you into doing that behavior to get you to click onto their site. Another example is confirmation shaming, which is using guilt to drive you into doing something. So you might get an email about saving the children or saving the world. Um, Disguised ads, which are content that appears to be a legitimate ad, but when you click on it, it takes you somewhere else. Uh, Misdirection, which is purposefully focusing on a user on a certain thing so that they don't see the other thing that's happening in the background. I like this one. It's called Roach Motel. The design of a website makes it easy for a user to end up in a situation but difficult to get out. Ticketmaster was actually accused of sneaking magazine subscriptions into users' shopping carts when they're buying concert tickets. And the trick question, which is a trick phrase, leaving users very unclear about whether clicking no might mean yes or some other checkbox which makes you actually opt in instead of opting out. So once again, the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, um, is also really coming down on this. And they actually say that social media sites like Facebook are one of the biggest culprits. So as always, be aware and stay safe. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Molly Chang, founder and CEO of Abel Consulting. We've been talking about win is one system. And also, in the first couple of segments, we talked about how Molly and I used to work together at Cisco Systems. Molly is very well known for many things, especially working on over 80 M&A deals, integrating them. And just to recap, when you integrate a company, it's like a marriage. And you have to take into account all the characteristics of an organization from um, HR the products that they're developing, the systems that they're using, and it becomes quite an interesting 
human experiment, I would say, Molly. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, for sure. There's, there's nowhere to hide. You know, you can kind of say the deal is going to produce these synergies on PowerPoint, but once you get there on the ground in the organization, there's a real come to Jesus. And um, it is about a large part of that is the human interaction and how do you create a sense of together we're going to be better. We were lucky at a Cisco for most of the time. We really were, if you will, the asset, the human asset was what we valued, and we weren't about trimming a whole bunch of folks out straight away. Um, but I still think that it's, it's easier said than done. And I remember one of our deal leads, you know, having a, literally our weekly update. And the big issue was these people did not want to move. On the map, Keith, it was like one inch, right? It was in the Boston area. I'm like, you know, it's just one inch. They'll come to our Cisco office. And it was in New Hampshire. And they were like, live free or die, right? We were like, uh-oh. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that come up that, you know, in your corporate office, you're not considering. And it's a make or break. I mean, you lose the team. The development focus isn't there. The customer focus isn't there because they don't want to change their commute. They don't want to work in Massachusetts. Oh, it's, so, it's so funny. You're bringing back, you're bringing back memories. We, we had a situation once um, in Ohio where their prefixes for their phone numbers were accidentally changed because of a, an oversight, and that was a fiasco. And, and you're right. I mean, there are, there are all kinds of factors involved with moving slightly from one location to the other. And not just in M&A, but just um, overall, the cultures of these organizations really um, get ingrained. And I think that's where you come in with Win is One. I mean, we were talking about this concept in leadership called Tone at the Top, which is really your entire organization as an entity that is set at the highest levels of the organization. So if they're not engaged, your your team is not going to be engaged. Yeah, that is my passion is I do believe it starts at the top. Culture is absolutely modeled there. It endures at the base, right? So it's a top down meets a bottom up and you really do need the whole. Um, what I find is for sure, you know, positive intention, leaders want the right things to happen. And what's most frequently the issue, the experience at the base is our leader doesn't know or see X. They have a blind spot, right? And, you know, we all do. And I think it's harder, especially for leaders. You're supposed to have the answer. You've gotten to where you are because you had all the answers. It's not easy. It's not easy to get away from the adding too much value to, you know, kind of a winning too much sort of I've got the answers thing. Um, and, and this is the hardest part for leaders, I think, to look in the mirror, to sometimes realize that, you know, less is more. You don't need to add, you don't need to add in. And the, 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 one of the number one skill that I work with executives on is something called meta skills. And it is an intentional attitude or stance with which you do work. It's your vibe or your energy. And lots of times you're so driven to do the work and you just kind of mow over what is, what is the real atmosphere I want to create? What, what is it about these people? Where, where are they? And for the leaders who can master this, and it seems like maybe you're going slower when I would argue it really is a way to really create, you know, exponential kind of value add. If you can create a space with the right kind of energy that you bring as a leader and that safe space notion, I mean, every leader I know wants people to tell them. They really do. Mm -hmm. Every organization I go to, I ask, on a scale of 1 to 10, how comfortable are you really putting out there what you think needs to be said? I mean, I'll get threes. And I'll get threes in organizations that they, they're happy, right? Or fives. You know, once in a while you get an eight. 
that the, the fact of the matter is it's just not as open as leaders think. And then they'll be like, okay, I'm listening to this woman. Let me go ask people what I think. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> you can't do that. Because that's going to be like, what do you think they're going to do? They have to tell you what they think you want to hear. So it's a, it's a bit of a longer process. And it is about understanding some of the habits we have. You know, I want to I hear the bad news. Well, people hear the bad news, right? And they'll say, who told you that? <laughs> or why do you think that? You know, and that's a very valid question. I'm not saying that's wrong, but boy, that's super scary. As opposed to, gosh, John, I know that was probably really hard to just blurt that out. No one else agreed with you. You know, I didn't have that point of view. I just want to thank you for that. Pause. <laughs> right? You do that. People are like, oh my gosh. And, and that's not, you can't just do it once. You got to do it for quite a while and maybe a year, right? Because people aren't used to that. They're waiting for someone to get crushed. So, and it just takes once. <laughs> that's a great point. So then how does the you know, win as one moniker come into this? Because you're just talking about you're, you're working with this leader and, or you're working with um, individuals in the team and they're trying to get this feedback out. And sometimes there's this you know, human behavior that you, you don't want to be very open or you don't feel like you're in a safe space. Where does the win as one term come in? Well, for me, the win as one is truly, you know, I hear about this, we don't want to be silos. Right, and the championship teams are playing for the team, and they're playing for each other. So there's a selflessness about it, which is to say, I'm going to do what I need for you. You're going to do what you need for me, and that's how we win. You know, normally in companies you have a headcount, end of year headcount. People are lobbying for headcount, so it's a win lose. Marketing, they did a better job justifying they got more headcount, but maybe the organization engineering actually really needed to get the headcount. So while marketing did a turf war and won, engineering lost. And so the ability for a team to look at this and say, what is right for our whole system? And the ability to do that means everyone has to understand enough about what's going on in those other systems, not to micromanage or meddle, but to appreciate what's going on, what's it feel like, and what do you need from each other? And when you can ask for help, and by the way, I get this. A lot of folks feel that that's a big weakness. You're not smart enough. You're not working hard enough. Why should you be asking for help? You know, that's when this dysfunction thing breaks down. If people start to try to do things that they're not well-equipped to do, when you can start to really interdependently, you know, take advantage, do the cross-pollination, which we did, you know, I thought pretty well at our Cisco when we had our integrations, right? That that's a real key to that whole win as one notion. And, you know, there's, there's no I in team is, is a bit of how that goes. Yeah. I often laugh at those, those you know, largely men in the leadership team. All weekend long, you're cheering on your favorite team. You know that it is about this whole team dynamic and, and the ability to be vulnerable, to ask for help, give help, right? Then Monday morning, we come in and we kind of forget all that and we kind of boss everyone around. We don't think we're doing that, but that's how it might feel to a lot of people. So I think my wish is if, if executives, you know, look in the mirror and say, wait a second, how, how might I be part of the problem? And how am I creating space for people to tell me when maybe I'm being my own worst enemy and not my, my best friend? And if just that one thing, one consideration to kind of land on that can really create a whole new um, way that v- people view a leader. And, and, and I would argue they'll think of you as more powerful, right? They'll think of you as someone they really want to follow when you can be that real. So, um, Molly, you know, I have this perfect example that you're talking about. Uh, this week, my San Jose Sharks, after their team captain got blindsided, they came back for the greatest comeback in Sharks history to take the series. And so everything yep. you're talking about just reminds me of that. 
And uh, Marco, my sound engineer, just smiling because he was at the game. But no, I, I totally get it. And I also, um, before we end this segment, I want to remind everyone that um, you put together a Win Is One series that had 230,000 hits in the first seven or eight weeks. And this is just content, this message that you want to get out um, to the world because it's just something that people can improve upon. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Keith. So we have Molly Chang, CEO and founder of Abella Consulting. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. If you have any questions or comments about Molly's work, the one is one um, executive coaching, you can email us at info at svn.biz. And I'll be right back to end the show with Molly and the pivot. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. I'm joined today with Molly Chang, who's the founder and CEO of Abella Consulting. Early in the show, we talked all about Molly's work in coaching, her background, the win is one philosophy she has. And so a reminder of the pivot, we're talking about change, good change or bad change, inspirational change. And I think for what Molly's working on, it really is inspirational change. It's really this idea that no matter where you are, whether you're stuck as an organization, you can make effective change by focusing at the top and coalescing that with your entire team. So Molly, welcome back. Thanks so much, Keith. One thing I'll start with is, you know, every voice does matter. It doesn't mean each person's voice, but when we have an organization, whether it's the management team or it's the whole organization, there's different voices, right? And when you honor all of them and you hear some of the ones, and some of them are unpopular, they're not things we want to hear. If we really allow all of that to happen, you can get to an accurate sense of reality. When you have that shared reality is when you're in the best position to really make informed decisions, execute with speed, achieve the outcomes, really outperform. And I have a private equity firm I work with, Alpine Investors, it's phenomenal. And if you're there, PE, you know, make a lot of money, and they really are about investing in people first. And that ethos, they get that if we really have leaders working in the right way, that they can produce results, and in a sustainable way, and in a way where really that whole organization feels like they're winning together. And I've worked with teams, by the way, that get great results, and they don't feel great. Right, And so the ability to have it all, I want people to think that they really can. It takes the leadership to be able to look in the mirror. And you know, one of my experiences there, and I was brought in, it was a pretty dysfunctional team. You know? And I went in, and they were like, like a, I did individual interviews. People said to me, you seem really nice. This is awesome. We just need you to know this is not going to work. We cannot work together. <laughs> and you know, literally, and, and very, very respectfully. And so at the end of the day, short of like psychiatric issues, right, I could tell. I'm like, I can work through this. And when you help people appreciate we really do have a shared win together, if you help people appreciate how they are being their own worst enemy, and if you get leaders to realize, hey, I can own when I'm part of the problem, and I can own when I'm part of the solution. And one of the things that I work with is having leaders identify what's something that you really need to change in your behavior that's holding you back, that's going to help the organization perform. And when you have to share that with all your colleagues, that's a pretty edgy thing, right? But then you realize, to be clear, when you make a behavior change, the harder thing is to change people's perception of you, Mm -hmm. much harder to change people's perception of you. So there's a way to do this where you can actually ensure that people, you know, will change as you're changing. 
You know, it's much easier for me to be patient than people to think of me as being patient. And when you work at that level, at the very root level, I need to help you be a better person, you need to help me be a better person, working interdepartmentally between sales, marketing, or manufacturing about the business is so easy. So I just offer that. I think we really can't have it all in this case in terms of purpose, in terms of really helping people be the best that they can be as an individual and helping them grow individually. I've had teams where we've moved people out it, you know, it's a good person, not a good fit in terms of how the team wanted to work, but we honored that person. And it was it transparent for everyone that it wasn't a fit rather than, oh, my gosh, that guy just disappeared. What happened to Joe, right? And so I think when you operate with that, people are willing to deal with the reality that you can create a level of trust and kind of a high-performance environment that just you just can't get anywhere else. And when you have the level of purpose and you have people really playing the game for each other, sky's the limit. And it feels that way. And those are the environments where people really are rocking it. You know, you and I have been there where it kind of time flies. That is possible. My friend Gary Ridge at WD40 has this soul-sucking term. There's a lot of soul-sucking going on, <laughs> right? It doesn't have to be this way. You can look in the mirror and say, wait a second. Wait a second. Right? Do people really come to work and want to create a fearful environment where no one says what they really want to say? No. Right? And so how am I enabling that? How am I maybe unconsciously enabling that? How can I become more mindful of how I move through space and let me model that? And by the way, this doesn't have to be just at the leadership level. This whole say it skillfully was helping to empower the base for everyone in the organization to realize, hey, you own this culture. And then you can kind of be the change you want to be and uh, create a winning culture that you're proud to be a part of, that you can be your best. And then together you can achieve things that no one individual ever could. And, you know, that's really worth working for. That's worth living for. And that's the really great insight to what you've been talking about because on one hand, the win is one. You're talking about probably the executive, the senior person in the group or team that is trying to make adjustments as they work with you. But then the team has to see that. They have to perceive that. Not just perceive it. They actually have to believe in it and see that change in order for it to be effective. And so once the whole organization can wrap their minds around that and embrace that, I think that together is where that win is one concept really hits home. For sure. For sure. And, you know, I, I think sometimes people worry as a leader, you know, I'm not kind of giving up my position power. And, and that's not it at all. Right. People get you sign those paychecks, you make the decisions, you're the boss, you folks decide. Right. But you're, you're enabling people to really you're empowering people to be stewards of the business. And when you look at, you know, Dave Tugboat Institute, these amazing companies, Evergreen, they want to be around for 100 years. You know, so they're looking at a long run, and they're not just for the, the quickest buck in the shortest amount of time. They're making great money, but they're doing a paced kind of growth. They're um, engaging all the people in a purpose-driven culture that everyone co-creates. And, you know, you look at the world around us, Keith, this is what we need more of. And, yeah. and I want to encourage folks to realize you can do it. I'm going to have to come back in the show because there's just so much more to talk about. So thanks for being here again. My pleasure. Thank you, Keith. So once again, Molly Chang, founder and CEO of Abella Consulting, Win is One, 230,000 hits on her video series. So definitely go check it out. Find out more about it on svin.biz. And we're going to see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 